0: Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the Trade and Globalization Editor for The Economist.
1: And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics.
0: In this episode, we are going to talk about what is going on in container shipping. It's a sort of follow-up to our episode with Mark Levinson about his book, The Box, which was was about the history of container shipping. We're going to try to explain a bit more about how this industry works, why it is coping weirdly well with COVID-19, and why when some prices go up, others go down. We will have some very special guests.
2: My name is Eitan Buckman. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at the Freightos Group, which basically spans Freightos.com, which is an online freight marketplace, and Web Cargo, which is a platform that connects airlines with logistics companies.
1: In trade, you have the importers and the exporters, and you also have carriers. So they're the ones who carry stuff. So think of airlines, trucking companies, shipping companies, and then you have freight forwarders. They're sort of like the, the travel agents of trade. They can get you a good price, they'll help you deal with customs forms and and all that kind of stuff. Freightos is sort of like an Expedia, but for shipping. They connect the importers with the freight forwarders or more generally different parts of of the shipping chain. So Eitan is someone who can actually see what's actually happening in this particular shipping market. Our second guest also looks at shipping markets, but as part of her economic research.
3: Uh, my name is Wanfeng Wang. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Oregon. So let's start with some
0: shipping economics 101, or as the cool kids say, supply and demand. Okay, so, so the demand for shipping is based on how much stuff people want to move around. You know, and probably when it comes to shipping, it's really the bulky stuff like furniture, that kind of thing that, you, that you're not going to move around by plane. Supply is set by the number of boats out there and how big those boats are. Over time, as Mark told us in his episode, ships have become bigger and bigger and bigger. Fuel is one of the main costs of moving stuff by boat. And, and essentially, the, the bigger ships take less fuel per container, so it's it's cheaper. We asked Eitan about that trend.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's fascinating it, to see how large and just like how big these ships can go. You know, they have these these nomenclatures for the different uh, classes of ships. And they keep on making larger and larger ones. So they're kind of running out of names. So they pile adjectives on top of it. So the really, really large ships right now are called ULCVs, which stands for ultra large carrier vessel. Uh, they used to have, so they're just, they're running out of these adjectives. It used to be Pana, uh, Panamax, which is, you know, the maximum size for a Panama canal. And now it's been getting larger and larger and larger to the point where, most of the container ships now, I'm sure he mentioned, have can fit over twenty thousand containers, on, uh, twenty foot equivalent units on them, and and it's it's really been an economies of scale game. From an industry perspective, it's such a consolidated industry. Right, you're talking about the top seven or eight ocean liners control 75 percent of all the containers shipped around the world, and to get even more consolidated, they've they've built up alliances. A very very dry game of thrones. Where they, they basically since they can't cover every single lane they end up they basically end up splitting up lanes between themselves. So one one uh, carrier will cooperate with another and they'll say okay we'll control the you know you will take care of the China to U.S. and another one will say you'll take care of China to Europe. Uh, and and as they do that as they rely more on economies of scale and shipping from huge ports like Shenzhen and Guangzhou out to Vancouver and then to uh, Long Beach. They keep on getting larger and larger and larger, taking advantage of economies of scale. And and it really is economies of scale. One of these huge 20,000 container v- vessels can get by with only 13 or 14 people on board kind of sailing there. So it's just like these like ma- mammoth highways like sailing through the ocean. It, it works as long as the demand keeps on growing in line. But it means that you lose this huge degree of control because you just have, you have 20,000 containers or no containers. This is like, if you were buying frozen pizza, you can buy a pie with thirty slices or with zero slices, and it works well as long as you're hosting a party. But if you only have one person who's hungry, that thirty slice, you know, thirty pie sliced pizza is going to be huge overkill. Uh, so, so it's losing this degree of control. But while everything remains r- routine and regular and steady, it's actually working really well for everybody.
1: When everyone wants to ship lots of stuff, you can fill these massive ships and move stuff really cheaply. But when demand drops ships can start slashing their prices so that they can fill their boats and, and still turn a profit. But what that means is prices in this industry can move around a lot. Back when Eitan joined the industry in, in late 2013, trade was still sluggish after the global financial crisis, and the shipping industry was, was not doing very well at all. He said that at the time, it was actually cheaper to put stuff on a boat and sail it around the world for a year than to put it in storage somewhere in Manhattan.
0: Prices were also pretty low in 2016. They were so low that there was the South Korean ocean liner Hanjin that went bankrupt. Uh, it was incredibly disruptive as you have billions of dollars worth of goods just stuck on the water.
2: Things were much steadier in 2017 and 2018. You know, you had spikes here and there. Tariffs were probably the largest driver of when those spikes would pop in.
1: Just to quickly explain those spikes back in 2018, the, especially the Trump administration would would announce there was going to be a tariff on on imports from China, maybe six weeks or, or two months from now, and what that meant was suddenly everyone needed to get their stuff into the United States right now. And so surging demand led to a, a spike in, in shipping prices.
0: Okay, but apart from these spikes, essentially the past few years is, is, is fine, or at least it's stable. Fast forward to early 2020 and COVID hits. You have ships and containers just waiting around the Chinese ports, waiting to get stuff. You see a huge drop in demand.
1: Now, with everything we just said about those massive ships, you might expect prices to start collapsing. But if you look at freight rates between China and the United States, they didn't. They stayed basically flat. The shipping companies managed to do this by what are called blank sailings. So think of shipping containers as, as like buses. They, they have schedules. And so what they can do is just cancel one of the buses so that when the next scheduled bus does make its trip, you have one full bus and not two half-empty buses. And so as demand fell back in early 2020, shipping companies just cut back on supply with these blank sailings.
0: Now, it is it is really not obvious that this would happen, that that supply would contract with demand. And if the shipping companies were competing against each other in a really cutthroat way, it might not happen, right? There might be an incentive to say, mm, okay, I see, I see you there um, with your blank sailings, but I am going to cut my prices a bit, and instead of parking my ship, I'm going to nab some containers from my competitors. But obviously... A-Town mentioned, there has been a lot of consolidation. And in this week's edition of The Economist, my colleague Simon Wright wrote basically that this, this consolidation seems to have helped with managing the downturn. The companies have managed to avoid a, a price war.
1: And so that was the first couple of months of COVID, of, of early 2020. But now another weird thing is happening. Prices on some of these routes are starting to go through the roof, Typically, it costs around $2,700 to ship a container along one of these really important routes from China to the U.S. East Coast. At the moment, that price is more like $4,700.
0: Now, it – would have been possible that supply reduced too much, right? There were too many blank sailings, and suddenly there was no space on the ships that, that were sailing. Um, but actually, it doesn't look like that happened. Uh, as, as countries opened up, the shipping lines actually reduced the number of blank sailings. And Eitan said that right now, there are actually fewer blank sailings than there normally are for this time of year. So if it's not lower supply, it looks like it must be higher demand, We asked Atom where all this demand was coming from.
2: I I think the right answer is, who the heck knows? The COVID impact leaves so many people with these challenges and how do I plan? There's strong consumption within the U.S. right now. There's a lot of imports going on. We're in peak, peak season. So every year there's a seasonal spike around now leading up to holiday season, companies that are shifting over their inventory. So this is typically when there are a lot of imports. There wasn't as big of a lull as there typically is in the summer. There was a kind of a a lull in the beginning of COVID. And then as the economy started to open up, companies started to import more. But right now, there's just a lot of companies that are shipping. Transportation companies in general are having a field day. Both domestic and international are are just full. They're, They're just working around the clock.
1: There is definitely some seasonality here in shipping, especially on this China to the United States route. So think of back-to-school shopping or companies loading up on their inventories of, of electronics, consumer products, right before the, the holiday season and, and Christmas. But hey, maybe also the, the phase one trade deal lowered some uncertainty, and so perhaps companies are, are responding by importing more. Or it could be that the, the demand surge is because of all the Americans who, who lost their jobs and are maybe now getting into the business of, of e-commerce. Again, I think the right answer is who the heck knows.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So, whatever the reason, uh, shipping is doing well right now. There are questions about how long that can be maintained. For example, if governments, um, you know, continue to subsidize shipbuilding, um, there are structural reasons why we might see some overcapacity in this area. Um, we will see. But now I would like to pivot to talk about Wan Fong's research. And so far, we have mostly spoken about the price of sending stuff from China to the U.S. Uh, As we all know, China sends quite a lot of stuff to to the U.S. But what about the cost of sending stuff the other way?
1: I think a lot of people when they
0: by, by a lot of people, do you mean do you mean economists?
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. So when a lot of economists think about moving stuff, they think about averages. And over time, with technology improving, on average, the cost of shipping has fallen. But shipping is an industry where prices don't change in, in simple symmetric ways. Higher demand that pushes up prices for shipping from China to the United States is actually going to push down the price of ships going the other way, from the United States to China.
0: So think about it. You've got all these ships going from China to the U.S. They've got to get back. And so essentially you've got this huge number of ships taking containers from China to the U.S. And then they've got all this space going back the other way. And so to try and fill that space with this extra supply prices are going to fall.
1: And so what's important here is is to think about this in in volume terms and in, in the quantities, you know, sort of how many containers you have to have. Because China doesn't buy as much from the United States in volume terms as China sells to the United States. Eitan said normally it's only about a quarter of the price to send stuff from the United States to China as it is to send stuff the other way around. So that's normally, but today it's only about a tenth of the price so if it costs four thousand seven hundred dollars to send a container from china to the east coast of the united states it only costs around 470 dollars to send it back
0: one phone calls this the round trip effect and it has some pretty important implications uh, because it means that if you do something to cut demand for imports you're basically going to end up screwing exports. There are fewer ships to to carry your exports on that return journey. We asked her to explain what would happen, in theory, uh, if the U.S. put
3: tariffs on
0: imports from China.
3: So if there's a tariff, let's say if U.S. were to impose an import tariff on China, the first thing this is going to do is obviously decrease U.S. demand for Chinese goods. And so if it's going to decrease U.S. demand for Chinese goods, well, then your, your shipping costs from China to the U.S. is going to first fall in response, right? And now you no longer demand as much transport services from China to the U.S. And so the ships that are going from China to the U.S., you might not need such big of a ship, or maybe you don't even need them to come as frequently. And so transport supply... From China to U.S. is going to go down. Because these ships are doing round trips, now the number of ships or the, the the number of sailings of ships from from U.S. to China is also going to decrease. So this is on like the the U.S. exports to China front. And so without China changing their demand on U.S. exports at all, all of a sudden you're going to have less ships being able to take the goods of U.S. exporters to China. So transport supply on the export side for the U.S. exports is going to go down, and this is then going to put upward pressure on how much it costs to ship a container from U.S. to China. So in a sense, import tariffs that the U.S. is imposing on China is going to translate into a a tax on U.S. exports to China. So a country pursuing protectionist measures could potentially be just taxing their exports to the very country they're trying to target.
1: So the story here is, even if you ignore Chinese retaliation, the higher tariffs on U.S. imports from China are going to hurt U.S. exports back to China because of its increased these, these shipping costs. Now, as we're good trade economists, we know that bilateral trade deficits don't really matter. But if you did care about them and you followed this logic through, Higher tariffs on U.S. imports from China could actually increase the bilateral trade deficit. Wanfong tried to put numbers on the size of this effect.
3: So, uh, by February 2020, the U.S. trade-weighted average tariff rates on China is about 19.3%. So that was that's the number that I'm using for my counterfactual. I find that this is going to first of all, decrease import freight rates. So that's the that's on the import side. It's going to mitigate a little bit the fall in imports. And on the export side, this spillover effect, this tax is going to increase freight rates. This is just on U.S. Um, uh, US exports to China. It's going to increase the cost of shipping from U.S. to China by about 0.25%. And that's going to translate into a decrease in U.S. exports to China by about 3.7%. And what's interesting is that so you know you have this decrease in in imports as a result of a decrease in demand for for goods from China. Now you have this tax on exports as a result of this round trip effect. And so together your the trade balance which is which i define as the ratio of exports divided by imports is actually going to deteriorate. So the US China trade balance will worsen by about 0.1%. We wanted to ask Eitan a bit more about how
0: these weird imbalances play out in practice. And one effect is obvious. When you're demanding lots of stuff from China, and so the cost of sending stuff the other way is going way down, then some things are going to become worthwhile to ship that maybe weren't worthwhile before. So think scrap metal or rubbish for recycling, right? Where shipping can be important for the overall cost, uh, super, super cheap shipping can encourage those kinds of, of trade flows and make them happen. Another, though, is that if these prices go up really, really high on these particular routes, shipping lines actually start to pull their equipment, the ships and the containers, away from other routes. Here's a turn.
2: If you're making more money shipping from China to U.S. as a container liner, if you're charging four thousand five hundred dollars to ship from Shenzhen to New York, six hundred dollars to ship within the the, in your intra Asia lanes, right, from Malaysia to Vietnam or you know from Malaysia to to China, it will never be worthwhile for you because there's so much more money to be made on these core lanes, and and this is a finite resource. There's only so many containers that are out there, right? So no matter what, you're still shipping boxes. And if it makes sense to put all your boxes on a more lucrative trade lane, then all the other lanes are going to suffer right now. And that's what you actually see right now, where there's huge equipment shortages. There's just containers that are piled up in the United States that need to make it back to Asia. So a lot of the liners and a lot of the freight companies are pulling containers off of other lines in order to make sure that they keep on can keep on shipping $4,500 boxes.
1: Fong actually has a, a completely different paper about this set of issues and in here the networks are are just super important. this hub and spoke setup for shipping what that means is that when something happens at the hub so along one of these really important routes, it can have knock-on effects along the spokes those those smaller routes shipping to and from the hubs in the first place.
0: okay but before we wrap up, One last question for Eitan, which is, what does the future hold for shipping?
2: There's going to be ebbs and there's going to be peaks. And right now, it's a good time to be a container liner. But the prices, you know, what goes up must come down. And there are times where prices are just very, very, very low. And that's what people are expecting right now. The expectation is that once this demand is full, economies are presumably running slightly slower, which means that inventory will mostly be full and you won't need to import as much, and prices will drop. So I I don't think, I I don't really envy container liners in their business model. As a matter of fact, most of them are trying to make these very, very fundamental shifts that uh, that are kind of realigning every player in the space. Maersk is probably doing this the most brashly, or kind of the most, being very outspoken about it, which is basically trying to disintermediate freight forwarders. So if you have the ocean liner selling to the freight companies and the freight company selling to the importers, Maersk is doing everything they humanly can to become not just an ocean liner, but a full integrator. So you will ship, you know, you will basically truck from the factory in Shenzhen to Amerisk terminal get it onto a ship they'll take care of the last mile delivery they acquired Damco which was one of the largest ocean uh, which is one of the largest uh, freight companies they've started their own internal digital freight company and they're they're going after the small and mid-sized businesses so so there's this really really large alignment of a business model that's happening right now and if anything i think that's proof that you don't want to only be the container liner right the real money is not in moving things from a to b the real money is providing customer service and, and owning a specific customer and doing as much as you can to upsell to them.
4: So
0: in theory, um, one way of reducing competition is by locking in the people who you're supplying, right? So it's a bit like if someone built a tunnel from the bus stop to your office. So the only way you could get to the office was by bus. Now, there's gonna be less you know, traffic, fewer pedestrians getting in your way between the bus stop and your office. Um, but you've got fewer options for your commute. You can't cycle in or anything. Uh, oh, remember, remember the commuting days when that was a thing. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so so on top of all this consolidation in the shipping industry that we were talking about earlier, this other kind of you know behavior could influence competition within this industry, and it is it is certainly something to watch. And on that note. I think that is all for Trade Talks.
1: A huge thank you to Eitan Buckman of Freytos and Wan Fong Wong of the University of Oregon. Do check out her paper, The Round Trip Effect, Endogenous Transport Costs in International Trade. We'll make sure to post a link to her paper at the episode page of our website. That is www.tradetalkspodcast.com. She also has another really cool paper about entrepots. These are the the hubs and the hub and spokes of of these networks, where she shows how important these network effects are and how if you put up trade barriers between two countries, the networks mean that other countries are are going to suffer as well. We'll post a link to that paper too.
0: A huge thanks to Colin Warren, our audio guy.
1: Do follow us on Twitter.
0: I'm at Simea Keynes.
1: And I'm at Chad Bowne.
0: And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks.
1: That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks.
0: And to finish off, a happy birthday message to none other than our Chad Bowne.
4: Oh, it's your birthday. What a lovely day. I thought I'd write a song about your presence along the way. First we got tariffs on steel and aluminium, a defense against Canada. So much fun, tariffs and quarters and deals. Then the joy of the U.S. and C.A. Those tariff threats for Mexico were a cherry on the cake Say thanks to Bob for his Section 301 Imagine how dull things would be without everything he's done Tariffs and quarters and deals Now if you ask Peter nicely and you wish upon the stars oh maybe just maybe you'll get some tariffs on cars tariffs, quarters, and even-